This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18+, plus. rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to a special edition of the Chelsea Fancast uh, today. Uh, as you know, I like to do the uh, occasional interview with somebody interesting rather than having to listen to us waffle on, on all the time. And quite often they, they focus around books. And I'm delighted to say that this absolutely does focus on a book. And it's an absolute belter. Uh, the book is titled Out of the Blue. Uh, and, you know, it's about uh, that little matter of Chelsea winning the Champions League in 2012, which is close to most of our hearts, particularly mine. And it's written by uh, Gary Thacker. Now, Gary, who will no doubt explain far better than me, but uh, from what I understand, Gary's a, a, a journalist. Yeah, I write for a Spanish newspaper over here about La Liga. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also do, um, I work for these football times, so do podcasts for them, write for them, write for their magazines. And uh, Out to the Blue is my sixth book. Um, so, yeah, keep, keep me pretty busy on all things football related. Excellent, Gary. Yeah, I mean, I I noticed in the in the you know the uh, the the you know the promo stuff from Pitch that you've written uh, another five books. Is this the first on Chelsea? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, the previous ones. The first one I wrote was a sort of like a small semi-autobiographical thing. Then I wrote the history of England, the World Cup. Um, I wrote the one about the Dutch teams of seventy four, seventy eight, lost consecutive World Cup finals. It's called Beautiful Bridesmaids, dressed in orange. And then I wrote two novels. Uh, then back into sort of uh, football history with Chelsea. And I've got a, just uh, sent off literally a week or so ago to the publishers my seventh book, which would be about the Ajax teams that won successive European Cups, 71, 72, 73. Unbelievably serendipitous. I mean, one of my favourite teams of all time is that 70s Dutch side. And one of my heroes growing up was Johan Cruyff. Oh, mine too, buddy, mine too. I, once, uh, I, I used to live in the West Midlands in Warsaw, near Birmingham. And uh, 74... Talent of 73, Talent of 73. Um, they played, uh, Baston Villa played Barcelona in the, um, I think it was a couple of the Cup or the UEFA Cup, whatever it was called in those days. So I went around to see Cruyff play, and it was a dog of a pitch, muddy, everybody's clawing through mud. 
Cruyff was like a pond skater. I'm not. I'm still to this day not sure his feet actually touched the floor. And he's got a wonderful goal, and I mean, great to watch the guy play in real life. Yeah, the mean, same about things that, that that sort of expectations that they were letting down the Grand Canyon and Johan Cruyff. Yeah, I mean, they did say he used to walk on water, so I can believe that. I mean, he he played he played at Stamford Bridge. He played for the New yeah. York Cosmos. Correct. I think it was 77. I was a bit too young to go, sadly, but uh, I've got many mates who did and they, they, they thoroughly enjoyed it. But there you go. Let's not go down the Holland and the Cruyff uh, okay. route because we'll be here all day. Trust me. It's a, it's a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant period of football history, I think. Um, and, you know, for Chelsea fans, and I mean, I'm not sure if you are a Chelsea fan or not, actually. Cause it wasn't, you are a Chelsea very, fan. Very much so. Um, it's one of those weird things. I, don't, I can't really tell you why because I don't remember, but I mean... I can remember how far back I go. Um, I remember Jimmy Greaves moving from Chelsea wow. in '61. I mean, and not really understanding what that really meant. Yeah. That sort of stuck in mind. So there we are, and that's uh, we're talking sixty years now. Yeah, '61, yeah. I think, wasn't it? '62, maybe. '61, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my my co-host Jonathan Kidd, uh, who's a little bit older than me, although he will not thank me for saying that. Uh, <laughs> but he he remembers that too. He he was at the he was at uh, Jimmy's last game when we. When he scored four against Forest, I think. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I mean, there again, I, I can't really remember him playing to be honest with you, because I mean, I'd be four at the time. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, he was one of those things that well, early one of my earliest memories. And uh, you know, and when we tell somebody a Chelsea fan, they say, "Oh, just you know, since two thousand or two thousand three or whatever." So I have to smack him down with that fact. No, quite right too. Quite, quite right too. Um, I suppose in 30 years' time, there'll be many Chelsea fans who are saying, oh, well, you know, I was there in Munich that night. And uh, I, I won't bore you with my story. My listeners have heard it far too many times already. But my journey to Munich and actually getting a ticket and actually being able to go was as bonkers as Chelsea's ride, you know, to the final itself, I have to tell you. But it is it was the most... I mean, if you're going to pick one season, I think, to write about Chelsea, this is it. And, it, and as you say, and your forward absolutely nails it. You know, you could not, you could not make this up. You could, I mean, I, I've worked in TV. You know, not not on drama as it happens, but if you know, you could not write a script like this because it makes no sense. Is that what really attracted you to writing about this season? Yeah, it absolutely is. David. Um, I had a few people say about you know why you write it because it's Chelsea. And I think the story is so ridiculously extraordinary. If it doesn't matter who it would be, you know, it's just a story that needed writing. I mean, there's been in the history of, of the European Cup and Champions League, and perhaps the Real Madrid one might change that because that's been bonkers as well. But up until this year, certainly, in the entire history of those competitions, there has never been a run to a final and a winning trophy. That sort of crazy amount of drama and roller coaster. Now, people mention about the Manchester United 1999, two goals and injury time in the final. One game. Yeah. Liverpool games coming back from three plunk down against uh, Milan. One game and the Olympiacos, I might call it one, one and a quarter games. This was seven, eight, this was six, seven, eight games. Yeah. And it was, I mean, you can't, how many times that team pointed towards the exit doors, clinging on by their fingertips and amazing recoveries, things you couldn't see happening, messy missing a penalty. 2 0 down in the Camp Nou against the best team on the planet and got a draw. Yeah. With John Terry being sent off, Cahill injured. I mean, it was nuts, wasn't it? But single playing centre half. Yeah. I mean, it just—it just that is crazy. I mean, as I say, it's a story that needed telling, regardless of who it was, and the fact that it was my team as well. Just, it's, it was a book I got—I got to write. I got to write. 
Well, and I'm glad you have. I mean, I, I'll, be, I'll be very honest with you, Gary. I haven't kind of, you know, got through the whole book, so I've kind of dipped in and out. But it, I have to yeah. say, and, and this is a message to all of you lot listening, I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I've probably read nearly every kind of Chelsea book that's out there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we'll talk about it later, but I know you've got Mark Worrell included as, uh, you know, one of the fans who gives some view. Mark's a very good friend of mine, dear friend of mine. He's actually a regular on, on the fan cast. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, I, and, I, and, I, and obviously he publishes, he publishes lots of Chelsea books. So I've got pretty much every one that's, that's been written. This is different in a sense. I think this is so, so brilliantly written, so analytically written. It doesn't leave anything uncovered and it's, I just love it for the depth, actually. I just think it's brilliant. As I said, I haven't finished it all yet because it's quite a big, thick book. But uh, just the flavour that I've got, I, I'm really I'm really loving it. So, you know, I'd give you a round of applause if people could hear it. Oh. It's brilliant. <laughs> Bless you. Thanks for that. I mean, it was a, I try, when I tried to write, I tried to write from a, a third-person perspective mm. rather than sort of being involved in the things that are going on. The point, the point being that I don't want to tell my story. Yeah. I want to tell the story. Well, this is like a historical document. That's, I think, what I enjoyed about it. Yeah, and getting other people's perspective. I mean, you mentioned Mark and there's, there's, uh, the three Chelsea fans involved in it as well, and lots of journalists who were sort of involved in reporting the days, and a couple of uh, other authors that I sort of uh, know, and people like Seb Hutchinson who was there commentating for TV at the time, to get their perspective. So I didn't, I didn't want it to be a Chelsea fan's book being written by Chelsea, yeah. but other fans can put their perspective. As you say, people like Mark did brilliantly. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I think, as I said, I mean, this is not to disparage all the other books, which I love hugely, exactly because of that, because they're, they are, I mean, you know, they do what we do. We do as a, a, a podcast what they do in books. And I, I mean, we actually, funny enough, you don't know whether you know this or not, but we've, we got bored in the lockdown uh, because there was no <laughs> football to talk about. So because we're all old gits and we've been around a long time. And I think it was the time it was the, it was the 50th anniversary of, of Chelsea winning the cup in 1970, which I think is arguably the most seminal moment in the club's history, perhaps. I mean, maybe 2012 might trump that now. Um, so we decided to to start in 70, 69, 70, and basically review each season. And we called it 50, 50 Years of Chelsea. And we're still going strong now. I mean, this summer we'll probably finish it and get right up to date. But it's been an absolute joy to do. So, I, But that's the fans' perspective. This is different. As I said, I think this goes down and will go down as the definitive historical record of 2012 in book form. And I love you for it. Um, what, what I would say, though, actually, and I think this, this, is, this occurred to me, actually, just reading for a bit of it before lunch. But, um, you know, is it, is, it, is it harder or is it easier to write a book where you actually know this story so well? Because I think every Chelsea fan knows this story so well, don't they? That's a really good question, Dad. That's a really good question. Um, I've only ever written books about things that I love. Because um, it's one of the one of the first things I sort of when I started writing books was you know people say well don't write something that's going to bore you because you're going to bore the reader. So it was something I, I tried to write things that I'm passionate about anyway. Um, it's and I had a background obviously I had a background and knowledge of the of the uh, of the events, but I did a lot of research to fill in the gaps because what you didn't want to do is to write about memory. You wanted to write about facts. Yeah. Um, I let the other guys write about memory because that's, I mean, I'm asking them to do that. But what I wanted to do is to give the sort of the factual background upon which we could hang them, those memories on. So it works on two levels. And uh, you know, I hope that's what I've done. It's certainly what I've tried to do because, you know, uh, it just that's just my style, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I write as well, but it, it does come across as, as journalistic in, in the truest sense of the form. It brings in 
all the different aspects and perspectives. I think it just puts it together really well. Um, one thing I would would, would say, and I and I and I, and I kind of like this as well, um, for more reasons than the the, the, the obvious, which I'll, I'll, I'll reveal in a minute. But I like the fact that it kind of basically starts uh, with Moscow and what happened there. And I, I because I think having you know travelled this entire journey in a, in a way that I hadn't really done, say you know, in the 90s when we were in Europe, was, uh, didn't really go as much then. But, I, you know, you can't have Munich without Moscow, in my view. And I think it's so appropriate to start with that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, I, I, we were interviewed, we do a lot of podcasts for these times, and we had a couple of journalists, and I think it was Michael Calvin, I might be wrong if it wasn't, I, I apologise to Michael, um, who said, we're talking, and he said, you know, when he writes, he always writes the, the final chapter first. <laughs> Because he said, if you step out on a journey, how do you know what, which road to take unless you know where you're going to? And that's always stuck in my mind. So basically, that's what I did. I wrote the, the final chapter was the first one I wrote. Um, and when you get that, say, OK, but do you want to think, where do I start from? And it finishes with a penalty. Obviously, with drug, there's penalty. So I thought it would be a nice point if I could start it with a penalty. And obviously, the Terry slip. Mm. Uh, and the reason he took it was because Drogba wasn't there. It sort of opened the circle and then... And obviously, Drogba slotted that one away in Munich. Just closed the circle perfectly. So that was that was the end. That was the beginning. And then I sort of I filled in in between, as as they say. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it makes so much sense to me. And I mean, weirdly, we we started doing the podcast about well, we started it just before, I think it was just before the home leg of uh, of the Liverpool Champions League match, right in that in that Moscow season. Yeah, and uh, you know we obviously so obviously Munich was for I mean I, that's why I understand the narrative arc in this beautifully because you know I had I had thoughts when we hit 2012. I mean it was I mean I, I have no shame in saying this. It was the greatest night of my life. I mean I was in I was in tears at the end because of a the journey the club had got to get there, the journey that I had had to go to get there, and then there's the whole historical wrap around that you know I'd support a club that didn't get to a cup final for 24 years. You know, I mean, winning another cup final was, I thought, beyond our aspirations. So, and growing up in my kind of age, watching Liverpool win European Cup after European Cup, even Forest and 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 Villa and so on, and so on. It was just, I, I, it was, it was all too much. It was overwhelming. So, I was actually thinking maybe I should just stop doing the fan cast in 2012. You know, just that would be it. It's a great time to kind of leave it. And I know a lot of, I know a lot of fans who also. You know, I mean, I know fans who 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 chucked, chucked it all in after Stockholm. <laughs> Seriously, because they thought, well, that's as good as it's going to get. So there's no point going anymore. And there were certainly people who felt that in 2012. So it's 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 a bizarre, bizarre journey for all of us, I think, isn't it? I mean, you, like, you laughed then, so you kind of recognised a yeah, few of those things. I, I, there. I do. I mean, I, have, I, have, I think I've sort of, I often say to people, I was born in 56, 1956. Mm. I, I was born the year after Chelsea won the league yeah. title. And I had to wait another bloody 50 years yeah. for them to do it again. Yeah. I mean, it took them 50 years to win the first one and 50 years to win the second one. Now they come along as regular as clockwork every 50 years, just like running buses. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I never expected Chelsea to win the league in my lifetime before Roman came along. We, we got second and third a couple of times, but we never really in the hunt. Occasional cup runs. We had some European glory, obviously, Athens, the first one. And then, you know, Stockholm, as you say, was uh, with Franco burying that goal there. Towards the end of the game, but you never—I never thought we were going to win a league, let alone win, win the Champions League. And um, you know, I'm 40 in my lifetime to have seen Michael win everything, 
Um, my nephew, my, my son's a, he's 35 now, he's a, he's a Chelsea fan as well. And he's, 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 he's sort of, he's almost of the, the Man United fan era in as much as this football sort of realisation came around the 2000 mark. So he's sort of been, he's, he's no glory. Whereas, you know, from, from my life, from sort of saying born in 56, so from 61 till he's had 40 years. Yeah. I don't know, struggle really. And, and that, that's the way it was. And as you say, some fans, Stockholm seemed like the zenith. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I, I'd agree with that as well. I can yeah. see it because it was almost impossible to see anything further than that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely right. And, of course, for them, that would have been bookmarked in a sense. You know, it started with Athens and it ends in Stockholm in a sense. So sure. I do get... I mean, one of the things that occurred to me, and, of course, I don't, I'm not sure entirely when uh, when you when you finish writing this, but uh kind of follows on from really what we're just talking about. Of course, you know, it's, it's a competition... Which of course, you know, this 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 is such a theme throughout the book, really, where serendipity and luck have such a huge part to play in winning the damn thing, and and as a result, and we know all about this, having just lost three cup finals, FA Cup finals, but you know, you can't guarantee that you might ever win it again, and I mean, to be wrong, to be honest with you, it was such a Herculean task to finally get over the line and win the damn thing. I never really expected us to really win it again. And and football logic, and if you've been around football a long time, you know how you know cyclical these uh, you know circular these things are. Or cyclical they are. Did Chelsea winning it in Porto last season uh, affect how you wrote the book, or had you finished it before that? I just finished it before it actually. Oh right, uh, probably about three or four weeks before the final. We were in, we had qualified for the final, but we haven't we haven't played the final. And I remember thinking at the time, I, I mean, you know, don't don't misunderstand me. They get the book. Chelsea winning the title was far more important. But I remember thinking, if they win, will they help the book sales better, or if they lose? I mean, that's the sort of crazy things that go through your mind at the time. But um, you know, it's 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 interesting that um, I, I was talking about to the publishers afterwards because we were talking about the date for the publication. It went out on the eleventh of April. So obviously a little bit before the actual anniversary because we've been we this book for ten years, a decade. That was the sort of point. But when Chelsea win again, it's almost made that a little less special, shall we say. So we brought you forward a little bit to the middle of um, April, and then we're going to have a bit of a bump on the celebration day as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a really it's a really good point. And, you know, I was wondering, you know, did he think about doing an epilogue or anything? But I, I, don't, I don't think you should worry, because I think the kind of people that are going to read this book are, are pretty diehard fans. And, I mean, I've got an, another mate who's also a writer. I mean, basically everybody on our bloody show is either on telly or they write. So what a bunch of lovies we all are. But um, well, they're all very proper Chelsea. I mean, Mark, you know, Mark, me, and, I mean, he was very involved with the Chelsea Independent Supporters Group in the in the 90s. Um, but he's going out to Munich on on uh, on Thursday, on the nineteenth. Yeah, he's going out with a whole load of mates. Bless his cotton socks. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm hardly surprised. I mean, I, I spoke to Mark um, because I'm Chelsea anyway, so I was sort of linked to him on Twitter. So I spoke a few times. I, I wrote an article for the for the book he, he produced for the um, yeah Sleeper, for the Tales from the Shed, which was which I think was a brilliant idea and it's raised so much money, which is fantastic, great piece of work. Um, but when I when I sort of wrote the book and uh, I got in touch with a few fans by a different course, I thought Mark would be the ideal guy to include because he's such a you know a Chelsea fan and he's been around to so many events. So, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, because of my my sort of background uh, coming from the West Midlands, a fairly industrial area, we weren't sort of the richest family in the world. I never really got to, to go to Stamford Bridge very often. So what Chelsea play against local teams, Birmingham, Villa, or maybe in the top leagues, such like. 
Um, but never, I've never been to, to, to a European game because um, we're just out of my reach. And now living in Spain, it's even sort of more the case. But um, so to get somebody's perspective who had been there uh, was just ideal. And I managed to get, I think it's four guys, that are Mark and the three others, a, a guy and his two sons. Um, and it's great because they, they're all slightly different the way they perceive things in the in the uh, in the run up to the games and in the final and there's one part that's um, one of my favourite parts. But I can say it because I didn't write it. Um, I can't remember which of the guys it is. They were watching the semi final and um, before Torres scored and they got the um, uh, web page open to book flights to Munich and it was all there. All they got to do is press send. But of course they were hanging on, hanging on. Is it worth? Shall we do it? Shall we do it? And then of course. Torres scores, and they're all celebrating, they're all running around the room. And it's got somebody press send quick, but one of them had done it. So that was, a, I mean, I can't remember the exact word, but it's a lovely little story that he tells. So, as I say, I'm, I'm happy to say because I didn't write it, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're right. You can't, you can't beat the I was there experience. I mean, it's an interesting point actually, because I mean, I know you've got a, a, a load of journalists uh, and, uh, and and supporters who, who give their perspectives on it. Well, one of the things I was wondering is, has that perspective changed after ten years? Uh, well, mine hasn't, that's for sure. Um, and I, and I, I sort of, as I mentioned earlier, I try to keep my sort of um, personal memories out to be as far as you know, drifting. But no, I don't think mine have. Um, I remember watching the um, the semi final, sorry, the final when Moller um, scored. I watched, I was watching his home with my son, and he's, I said, with Jasper as well. And when that when Moller scored, I, I just remember saying to him, done. Mm. I just couldn't see any way back. I just couldn't see any way back. And that's another sort of those moments sticking in mind. And uh, now I, I think my, my sorts of memories, they're, they're sort of etched in stone yeah. um, in my soul and lying in my mind. So I think that's sort of, that's, that's one of those forever moments, aren't they? Do you know what, Gary? It, 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 you, I think you're absolutely right. There is something weirdly special and, and unique about this season. And I mean, I, I joke with a lot of my mates like Marco and Mark Meehan and, and Kelvin Barker, <clears throat> who's another great mate. Uh, but Mark, Mark Meehan in particular, he's, he's, he's got like a, it's like a photographic memory. He can remember what happened in a match in 1976. <laughs> I, I can't even remember what happened the last match I went to. I just, I just don't have a memory for these things. But I can tell you now, <clears throat> I can remember so many things about the 2011-12 season. And you're right, it's etched in stone. It just won't go away. I can remember that season like no other. It was just so special, I think. Um I mean, one of the things that I like about the book, and in fact, of course, is redolent of the season, of course, is that there were so many different themes going on. I mean, on the one hand, the book, I think, is uh, really, it's the story of Andre Villas Boas and uh, Robbie Di Matteo. On the other hand, it's the story of Abramovich's obsession with winning the Champions League. Um, I mean, there, and, and, you know, and, and also redemption, too. I think that's, that's, you know, that in real life it was redemptive, but also I think it comes through in the book. You know that basically started with Moscow. Yeah. You know you've got a load of players there who, uh, who you know the team that Jose built really, and it was their yeah. last hurrah, wasn't it? it? Was Drogba's last game? Uh, Lampard had, was being edged out. Uh, you know they were all getting on a bit. Uh, Drogba, of course, had uh, got sent off in the uh, in the Moscow final. There were so many stories of, of redemption about. Not just the final and winning it, but the season. I think is that is that appealing as a writer? Yeah, it is. And one of the great advantages I had, I got into Sky TV, and they were magnificently kind enough to, to allow me to access some old um, 
uh, television footage, the interviews um, with, with some of the players. And that sort of last chance saloon thing was very prevalent, especially with, with Drogba. Um, and it, it, was, it was sort of the, the thing that, 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 that perhaps was the main theme in as much as there was, these were a bunch of seasoned professionals, shall we say, let's be generous, seasoned professionals, but getting towards the end of their, the top echelon part of their careers. And were, were sort of um, thwarted in their ambition by this guy that came in and it just seemed like a crazy, and you look back now and it, it looks even more crazy, but it felt crazy at the time. The chances of being, of Andre Villas-Boas being Mourinho Mark II, just, it's Portuguese and he, he, um, he's been a Porto and that's about it. I mean, let's let's be realistic, guys. It just seems like a, a fantasy appointment, you know. But there you go. And then, and then obviously, um, then that sort of fell apart. And and um, there's lots of tar- put tars to tell about that. Um, when Robbie took over, I think the main well, they had. To, I think he had two things that Villas Boas didn't have. The, although Villas Boas did have a little bit of a Chelsea link, but Robbie had one stuff with Chelsea. And he got links with some of the players there. Terry had been in the youth team when, when Robbie was playing. So there was no link there. But I think the key thing that Robbie Di Matteo had got was he wasn't Willis Bellas. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, 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 it was just like somebody lifting a cloud away. And, you know, and sort of, he was wise enough to just know what he got to do with the players. These guys knew what to do. They'd been around. They've got a winning mentality. And, and Robbie had been a great player. And I think, that, I mean, I, I would imagine in your job, you've got to know a lot of footballers, yeah. as have I. And they are very different kind of people. I, I, I'm, I don't know why. I'm, 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 you, maybe you share this, but I'm quite attracted to them, not in a, not in a sexual way, but as, <laughs> as, as characters, you know, because they are different. They've experienced something very different about something that I love and that fascinates me their mentality and all of that and I and I mean one of the things I've always noticed when I've interviewed uh footballers for TV they give you or even for things like this they give you like a five minute test before the interview really starts so they ask you all sorts of questions they don't even realize they're doing it to figure out are you a football person or not and if you are not if you're just when I was making TV when I was a lot younger it was like are you just some prick from Oxford University who's doing this because they're trying to make some money or do you genuinely love the game that's what was going on and obviously for me it's quite easy to to, to prove their point so I've always got on really well with them but there is there is something odd about them and I think that's the point Beers Boas comes in and he's not really he's never played the game and people have Drogba Czech Lampard, Terry Cole stature are not, just not going to have it from him, are they? No, yeah, absolutely not. And you know, I mean, even the way he went about the whole issue just seemed just smacks of naivety. You know, this this accursed project. Oh. Sort of the organograms. Of Remember the organograms? Oh God, it's just ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I remember uh, when Chelsea first won the league title when at uh, Bolton under Mourinho. And uh, when he sent the players out uh, for the second after half time, he said, "Next time we meet, we must be champions." Now, now it sounds so simple, but that sort of conviction yeah. is easily transferable. Uh, another story about when he went uh, when he, he he was appointed manager Chelsea, he, uh, England were um, uh, at a training camp, and he went to see Lampard. And Lampard just came out of the showers and he introduced himself and he said, "I'm going to bet make you the best midfield player in the world." Yeah. Now, it's just that sort of people have got belief in in they they give you belief, and that's I think that again that's where Robbie scored, and he had this before the final, and I covered this in the book. Um, he had uh, all the players, um, wives, girlfriends, and 
for the younger players, their parents invited them in to see the players and wish them luck and tell them they believed in them and they, you know, they had the support and, it, and this emotional thing. Because, okay, when you get to coaching a football club of players of this standard, you've got to teach them how to track a ball. You know, you haven't got to teach them how to chest control. You've got to inspire them, you know, set your tactics and inspire. And I think that's the inspirational thing was where I suppose felt massively felt there and where Robert scored magnificently. Not because he was a tactical genius, although he, he, he you know, he's obviously a, a more than worthy tactical um, coach, but because he had that ability to inspire. Yeah, he did, and I thought very Italian approach too. Of course, making it all about the family. I mean, I knew, I knew, I mean, I knew that uh, story actually, and that's just made me think of a question I hadn't thought of before. But you know, and of course, I haven't quite finished the book. But uh, there, is, is there? Have you, did you kind of find anything, you know, kind of behind the scenes stuff that people might not readily know already? It was a couple of things, yeah. Um, um, that, that story came from Terry Boyle. Terry tells that story. It was on the, on the Skype. Things yeah. that I managed to have access to. Um, when, towards the end of Billis Boas's reign, um, they ha- he had he went to Cobham after training. He, he held what he declared. And there again, this is, has been reported by a player. He held what he was declared to be an open session. No, no, no stripes. Take our hat off. If anything to say, let's say it. Let's be able to have an open session, discuss things. And he invited anybody who wanted to offer criticism of the tactics an approach and he could make suggestions to do so. Ashley Cole put his hand up and said something. Now, not, from what I gather, not in a particularly aggressive way, just in a way that what he thought was wrong. He got dropped for the next game. Yeah, yeah I know. It's yeah. just... This, this is just... This does, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. No, it doesn't. I mean, he was very young as well. I mean, it's quite peculiar, really. And I mean, it, one of the things I found quite interesting... You know, going back to that period, I mean, I think Robbie was the seventh manager, or I can't remember which it was now, the, of Roman's tenure. And it all seems a, a long, a long way away, and a lot of managers ago now. Because it, it, I'm trying. I was trying to remember what my mindset was at the time. Because nowadays we often say, "Oh, for Christ's sake, don't sack another bloody manager." It's just nuts. It doesn't work. And then, of course, you go, "Oh, well, actually, it does work because we always win a trophy or yeah. two. But I mean, yeah. I I don't think we kind of knew that then. I, I I just feel I mean we I remember being really gutted when Mourinho went, and then all the stories came out about how toxic he was and was thinking well, maybe not. It was just a you know I don't think we'd really established that whole kind of uh, ethos at Chelsea of if you you know if you don't finish in the top four you get fired or you only last eighteen months then. So I mean one of the things I was trying to remember. Um, you know, because we're all pretty loyal, and I was doing a lot of work. Uh, obviously, you know, I get on the media because of this a lot. But me and a lot of mates were always being interviewed by the BBC and uh, newspapers, <clears throat> particularly around. Would you be surprised? November and December and January and March, when the writing was increasingly on the wall for AVB, and we were actually, I think, up till about the turn of the year, quite supportive. Say, now, like, come on, he just needs to give him a bit of time. You know, we can't keep sacking managers and all of that. Um, which actually now looking back on it and, and you understand the full horror of what was happening behind the scenes, I, I can't believe we said that, but I do remember that we did. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it, I think I think most most sorts of people recognise that, and perhaps in, in, in hindsight it's easy to say this, that he had to reach the end of the road. And um, I, I, it, it's really strange that there's this, just sort of what you're saying, they just brought to my mind, there's a strange uh, similarity between the, 20, the 2012 success and the 2021 success. Yeah. Both those seasons started with a young manager who sort of seemed to be, have difficulties. Somebody else came in and we won the Champions League. 
strange, strange situation. It, it, but the, the changing managers thing is a bit. I think in in the UK, we get we've got become quite sort of um, what's what I'm looking for in uh, uh, new that the, the normality is that managers stay at clubs for ten years. On the continent, it never happens. Even going back to uh, when Benfica won the European Cup in 1962, I think it was, and Bella Gutman was the, the Portuguese manager there, and he said, no, no players, no managers, coaches stay with the club anymore than two years because the phrase is the third year is toxic. And you see, in, in, in even the most successful clubs in Europe, they tend to change, change managers every couple of seasons. So Chelsea's isn't really that sort of desperately different to that sort of thing. And I think... The, the, the sort of tenures of people like Ferguson and um, Wenger and the success they had, um, as my people say, oh, well, the money's got to stay there for 10 years, otherwise it's never going to work. Well, reality says that isn't true so, so much. And so, you know, yeah, Chelsea do change money more than most, but I guess, as you said earlier, by the same time, you can't say it doesn't work because clearly it does. Well, indeed, you can't, can you? I mean, I, I, just, just a kind of final thing on the AVB kind of element of the book, if you see what I mean. Again, and I think this is with interesting hindsight, and I think it absolutely uh, bounces off what you've just said there, Gary, about Frank coming in and, in a sense, bringing in the youngsters, trying to shift out a few of the old stages, which he didn't manage to do really. But it, I don't, I don't remember it being, you know, that implicit or that explicit, really, more to the point that AVB had was brought in to uh, to bring in uh, the the talented youth players that we were beginning to get and to get rid of the old stages, the spine of the team. I think really that only became apparent afterwards with hindsight. But clearly that's what he was there to do. And of course, I think now with, you know, 10 years hindsight, you can see that that's what Roman was trying to do. You know, he was, he'd spent a lot of money on the club. He'd had to spend far too much on players and managers. He'd invested heavily into Cobham. He wanted to be self-financing and self-generating in a way. So I think if we look at the AVB era, era now with that hindsight, it's not as god-awful as we knew it to be then because actually the idea was sound. But it wasn't sound because this is Roman all over, isn't it? Uh, it's like, you know, you don't get rid of players of the calibre of Drogba, Czech, Cole, Terry, Lampard just because they're 33-34. Because actually, if look at Thiago Silva now as a classic case in point, isn't there? You have to look at these players individually. And I often wondered if Roman had this kind of, you know, uh, new toy syndrome. You know, he'd get bored of those toys that he'd bought, you know, five, six, seven years before, and he wanted new toys. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, you know, to have been a fly on the wall when, when sort of Roman was interviewing or um, had the conversation with Boas, whose idea was it? Did Villas Boas come in to the club and say, okay, um, your players are old, I want to bring you a new generation of players, blah, blah, blah. Or did Roman say, these guys are moving? I mean, I, I don't know the answer, but I'm curious as to sort of yeah. who the idea came from. Um, because it's certainly what it wasn't what Villas Boas had done at Porto. Um, it hardly changed the team at all at Porto when he went there. Um, so I, I don't know. And, you know, and as you say, the, the concept of bringing young players through. Isn't a, I mean, look at Lampard. Look at the players that Lampard brought through. You know, and we've got we've got two guys um, ripping it up in Syria. They love the guys playing at Chelsea. Tammy Abraham is scoring goals like I don't know what. Um, tomorrow is tomorrow is gonna, probably going to win Syria his first title. And he's, I was talking to an Italian journalist two or three weeks ago. We did uh, a podcast with him, and he said he's probably the most informed defender in Syria at the moment. 
Um, aside from the guys, you know, we're talking about Reese, Gallagher, Mason, Callum Hudson-Odoi. I mean, just, these, these guys came through. Gawiri sold as well. Um, and I think the situation with Robert Lampard was different in as much as because the transfer ban, there wasn't the option of bringing players in, no. which probably just creates favour as well. But the concept of bringing young players through isn't bad in itself. The execution was disastrous. That, and that was the issue. It was trying to rush through a two-year process in three months. Yeah. yeah. That was the issue. So basically, you know, what we do know is that AVB handled it appallingly and player power did for him. I mean, that's the narrative, isn't it? I mean, that's that's as true now as it was then, I think, isn't it? I, said, I think results did for him in the end. Yeah. And player power was, was a part of that. And some people say... Um, well, you know, if Chelsea could, could be that good to win the European Cup after he'd left, why were they playing so badly under under Villas Boas? Were they just sulking? Well, you know, there's it's an argument. Well, alternatively, were they just badly coached? Were they just ill inspired? Yeah. I mean, it's really funny, actually, because it, it, in a sense, it, you know, I remember then at the time, every sporter I knew was really on the side of the players. Who, who wouldn't be on the side of Lampard, Terry, Drogba, Cole, Czech, who were the main protagonists there, obviously? Um, but actually, I think what happened in, in 2011-12 didn't serve Chelsea well in terms of a legacy because I think it proved that player power would always win at Chelsea. And I think we lost far too many managers subsequently as a result of that. And actually worse, Gary, with players who are who were not fit to lace the boots of the five I've mentioned, but still had the power. Yeah. You know, Ru- Rudiger and Lampard, you could argue, and Alonso and Lampard you know, in recent times. And I yeah, think that's probably true, David. Yeah. Um, I just, just go back to, to one game, which, which sort of highlights this is the Napoli away game. Please um, do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I was speaking, I was speaking to um, a very, a very well-known, very, very wealthy Chelsea fan who was now, I can't divulge, who was actually at the hotel, same hotel as Chelsea were, were at in, in Naples. And he was a few floors below Gilles room. And he heard the conversation when he was saying about Cole not being picked. And Cole was so furious about it. And the, lots of language was exchanged. And if you recall, um, he'd been injured and uh, Villas Boas said he was being left out because he wasn't fit. And he played Basingua. Six or seven minutes into the game, Basingua gets injured. Actually, Cole goes on and plays, in, a, in essence, a full game. Which basically gives the lie, and I don't, I'm mean, going use that word advisedly, the lie that he wasn't fit. Now, once you're in, you're in that situation again, um, when you take on a player of Cole's repute and, and say things that aren't true, and they're, again, they're proved to be demonstrably untrue, you just make yourself a hostage to fortune. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, player pair is important, but, you know, if you're going to be a coach, if you're going to be a manager of a, of a top notch team, You've got to have credibility. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, with, with the crowd, with the fans, with the players especially, and, and probably at this time with Roman as well, credibility was, was a pretty rare commodity for... Um, we were searching down the back of the settee for the last Brexit, I think, for the Spurs at the time. Yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because in a way, uh, two things occurred to me, actually. You know, I, I often used to say at the time um, that actually we were winning trophies with that spine of the team you know way beyond Mourinho's departure i mean i would i would go as so far as to say almost almost by the time that Mourinho turned uh, returned because yeah. some of them were still there 
he, yeah. he built such an incredible winning mentality and forged such a tight bond between those key players. And we all know, for example, that the reason Chelsea got to the Champions League final in 2008 was uh, in spite of Avram Grant, not because of him. So I, I often think that, well, when you get somebody like AVB coming in, who they just aren't going to rate. And I mean, the reality is very few managers are going to come in and they're going to rate them when compared to Mourinho, I think, for this yeah. lot. So, and I think this was this was Robbie's genius as well, in a way, wasn't it? He Being a footballer, he probably got that. He knew what a tight bond they were. It, and actually, do you know what? And I'm going to give him some credit too. I think actually Avram Grant knew that too. <clears throat> I think he just left them to it. He knew that they were good enough to, to, to do what they were going to do. And uh, they were, you know, one one slip and a penalty miss away from... I mean, they were a much better side than United on the night. So I yeah. think Robbie kind of got this as well. And I think the players got that. They could do it. They were, they were self... You know, they were self-sustaining in a sense. They could do it themselves. Yes, you're right. I think with regards to Avram, I think he was wise enough to know what not to do as well as to know what to do. And Levin Clarkey as the sort of um, the main link with the in the admin, administration of the club and uh, and the players was was a wise move. And it, it's interesting to ponder. And I, I was going to put this in the book, and in the end, I didn't. Um, but for that slip, if Terry scores that penalty, Avram Grant would have got a new contract, not the sack. Yeah, where would Chelsea have gone from there? It's uh, just interesting to ponder. Would we, you know, uh, I mean, Avram Grant is a decent, a decent enough guy, but as you say, it was hardly the sort of top class coach that, that the team like Chelsea needed. But it, how could they have sacked him afterwards? He'd have to have a new contract. Um, but it's it's such a difficult situation when those sort of things happen, and you have to have you have to have the right guy in place. And you know, even if Chelsea had won that European Cup, Avram Grant wasn't the right guy. Well, I think we know the answer to that because, you know, Robbie did win the European Cup and he was sacked the following November. Indeed. Because Indeed. I think, you know, Roman's ruthless. If you're not the right guy in his eyes for the club, the right stature, you go. Yeah. It, it, I, was, I was talking to a Spanish journalist over here and he was telling me a tale about um, Real Madrid and when uh, Benitez was manager there and he sort of, it was difficult to get the players to sort of... Um, appreciate what he's asking them to do in as much as this is a guy who never had any real first class playing pedigree and you're teaching the best players in the world to do this or that whatever and the difference when um, Zidane arrived he was a guy who had respect of the players because of what he'd done forget his coaching ability he had respect for what he's done and I think there's a similarity there between the first Boas um, non-playing history, history and Robbie's because there's a respect, and you, you know, all the best managers. You know, there's this the thing about being a manager is to be respected, don't be liked. Um, you can be liked, it's all fine, but be respected first. I don't think um, Villas Boas had ever done anything in the players' eyes that they that's said that he was he, he should, he'd earn respect as a, a football man. Yeah. And I can understand that. I mean, you know, these guys aren't. I mean, playing for idiots in the past, um, and this this guy turns up, and you think, well. You know, Scalani could score. He won the Paris World Cup, so you, you, you know whether it works out or not, he brings a bit of baggage with him. Um, uh, Van Hall, oh, sorry, sorry, Van Hall, um, uh, Gus, Van, uh, Gus Hiddink, same sort of thing. He won, won the European Cup with PSV, so he, that, that bring that bring this this baggage of success. This they've got a, they've got a, a weight of personality and success that carry around. And first, Bowers hadn't got that. No. Never came close. No, no. I mean, I mean, he was very young, very inexperienced. He'd only really had one season of success 
Yeah. And, and it was the Europa League, not the Champions League. So, because I mean, Mourinho, Mourinho's track record of success wasn't huge. And but I think, I think, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And knowing footballers like you do, I totally get that. But I think you also can get. I mean, you've got the managers like you said, uh, you know, Van Gaal and and Hood, Hiddink, who had track record of success wherever they'd gone. Scolari too. But I think you do occasionally. I mean, Wenger's a good case in point. I think absolutely no football career to speak of brilliantly successful as a manager and, and, and loved by the players. Mourinho, the same. I mean, he had no significant footballing no. success on the pitch, but they had they, they, what they had was was a gravitas and a, and a and special personality and character that, you know, and I yeah. think what I wonder, actually, if you go in with these kind of players, what you have to do is to, if you're not, if you've not been a great player and you've not had a huge amount of uh, success uh, managing teams per se, you have to go in with a humility and what I will say about AVB, that's one thing he certainly lacked. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> I, there's a couple of uh, journalists who uh, I spoke to uh, quoting the book, and they were at the first press conference, and he had that he had a um, a swagger about him that never been earned, really. Uh, Mourinho had a personality about him as well that he could carry it off. He could carry it off, and he could prove it very quickly as well. Whereas with Villas Boas. He hadn't got that that um, personality carried off, and he seemed he seemed like a bit of a kid, overpromoted. Chidge, J.K. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there, and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football Fancast.com. I mean, Marco put it very well in the book, actually, and he's absolutely right, right here. 
You know, trying to gain the respect of a dressing room full of world-class stars and strong personalities was a non-starter, especially when it became transparent that had been hired to move the older players on. Factor in hopeless in-game management and that curious crouching stance in the technical area, and he soon became an object of ridicule among supporters. And once that happens, the end is usually nigh. And that last sentence, I remember it well. I mean, we used to call him crouching, crouching uh, Boas hidden talent or something. I mean, we, you know... <laughs> It was just, and I think there was another one. I was, I was looking back through a lot of the podcasts we did because I always try and come up with a catchy title for each show. And there's some, some very fun, all very bleak was one. You know, there's quite, quite a few, quite a few like that. It was a weird old time. I'm going to stop talking about AVB because I want to talk about okay. Robbie and what we did. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's always kind of more fun to talk about the bad things that happen than the good in a way, isn't it? It's, I mean, you know, look, we, we could talk about so many games in that season uh, and we could be here all day doing it, Gary. And I know we're both busy, so we won't. Um, but I think if we just focus on the Champions League for a second. Sure. Um, because, you know, essentially that's really the nuts and bolts of the book, isn't it? And we had a horrible group uh, a, a group stages. And, and, you know, we drew we drew uh, with Genk, didn't we? 1-1. Uh, well, I think we had a NAF result. Uh, we, we lost 2-1 to Leverkusen, didn't we? When actually we needed to get a result. And then it was all on the Valencia at home, wasn't it? We had to beat Correct. them to win, uh, to go through, didn't we? They had to beat them to win. And the way to, to go through, and as you say, the way the results turned out, we ended up topping the group, which was... Crazy, given the history we'd, we'd had and struggled. As you mentioned, the, the Leverkusen one, I mean, we were going out then. Uh, we, we scored first, they scored two light goals. We were going out, there's no there's no doubt. And then results seems to sort of swing in our face. One of the ones there's the exit door, guys. That's the way you're going. Well, we're not going that way. We're going that way. That's so many things. That's another example. It was. And then, I mean, we briefly touched on the, on the Napoli away game, which is remembered grimly by so many of my friends that were out there. It pissed down with rain all day. Yeah. Uh, Napoli is a lively place to say the least, and I think I think the uh, the police there had deliberately stuffed Chelsea supporters on various coaches and buses and just kept them on there for hours and hours and hours. A lot of control going on, so you had yeah. a lot of very angry Chelsea fans before they even got there. And then you see the team sheet, and and I mean again, there's a lovely piece uh, that I, I mean I'm going back to bloody AVB again. I knew I knew this would happen, um, but. Uh, <laughs> But I just think it absolutely. Matt Lawton, uh, I'm sure it was Matt who, who, uh, yeah, I think who, it was. yeah. I mean, he, he. I just read this and thought, good God, that was exact. I remember us saying the same thing. I, I said, this is the this is the longest suicide note in football management yep. history, and and Matt pretty much says he said the team sheet he submitted read to some like a professional suicide note. And while that might sound a touch more dramatic, the first eleven names that appeared below Chelsea FC could yet amount to Portuguese P45 because he basically left Lampard on the bench, Cole on the bench as well, Mikel, all the Kel. experienced players. The press were talking about what he had to do and his defence of that was laughable, wasn't it? And we got spanked 3-1. But yeah. for me, and I have to say, and I'm going to ask you this actually as well, because I have to say one of the most pivotal, if not the most pivotal moment of the entire campaign was actually Cole's clearance off the line in that match, which kept it to 3-1. Yeah, 4-1, we were dead and buried. And yeah. I've got a quote from Robbie in the book that he says it is the was the most important moment in Chelsea's run to the to the, uh, to the trophy um, because it had been so bad. Three one gives you an outside chance. You think, well, okay, you know, two two goals back. Four one sounds it sounds a lot worse than three one, and emotionally it is a lot worse. Four one to tanking, and you know, four one wouldn't have been um, an undeserved victory for um, 
for uh, for Napoli because they were so much. But you know they were so much better than Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea was so much Awful. worse. Awful. Awful, terrible, terrible performance. Um, especially as you scored first as well. Um, but it did. It did. It kept. It gave us a chance, and almost because it was that sort of that first sort of. I'm not. It, refusal to to accept the going down of the light, as it were. I'm, not, I'm sure I'm, I'm mangling that quote a little bit there, but you know, I'm not accepting the inevitable. We're not going to. I know if they score again, it's over. But we're not going to let them score again, and yeah, it made a big difference. It made a massive difference. Well, it did, and of course, Lampard, I think, and Mikel had come on as well, and I think they steadied yeah. the ship, didn't they? As I recall, um, yeah. so it was all on. It was all on the, the the next game. Obviously, you know, not many of us really felt we had much of a chance, but we had a bit of belief. And I mean, funnily enough, as you mentioned, the tales from the shed book. My contribution to that was basically about this game, which is. Right one of the most incredible experiences I've had at the bridge for reasons I won't bore you with. It's all in all in that book. Go and buy the book and then you'll know what I'm talking about, people. You've got the book. I know you've got the book, Gary. So uh, but it was just it was just insane that match. And the atmosphere I don't think I've experienced many atmospheres, maybe three or four atmospheres better than that, uh, you know, in my entire time of going to Chelsea. But it was just electric and it was on a knife edge the whole time. But there was such belief, weirdly. Yeah, I can't yeah. stand that. And you know, now looking back on it with hindsight, I'm thinking, why did we have all this belief? We must have been mad. I, I, you know, I think I think the answer is to that is, and there again, a clever piece of, of um, work by Robbie is the fans were wanted the, the old players back. He didn't. They wanted to be. They didn't want him to be cast aside. Lampard left out. Uh, Cole left out. Mikel left out. Teddy was injured. Couldn't play in that way. All of a sudden. It looked like a proper Chelsea team again, and I think that's having you know when you when you've been nobody falls upon a feast like a starving man, and when you know that you've had a team, well, why is he doing this? Why is this guy? Why, why is this guy on the bench? Why is he up? Why is he sort of taking this guy off? Why is it looked like a proper Chelsea team? And I think that fed into the crowd, and I think the key thing that was the crowd then fed that back into the team. And the emotion of that, that on, on, on any sort of TV, I'll be honest with you, um, Dave, so I, 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 I can get to games. But the, the emotion that came through there from players, um, from people I spoke to who've been to the game, everybody said the same thing. Everybody. It was pulsating. And on one of those special nights and emotions from, emotions and adrenaline can carry you sometimes beyond what you sort of would normally do. And I think that was one of those special nights. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, Gary. And I think I think you, you make a you make a really good point there about the difference between being there and and not being able to be there. Something, of course, many of us have had to experience thanks to bloody COVID and and the like. But yeah. but um, I think what we're talking about is power, actually. And I, and I mean, supporters are completely and utterly deluded when it comes to the amount of power that we think that we wield. That's what I mean about the difference between being there and not being there. For some bizarre reason, when I'm screaming at the telly, I feel utterly bereft and powerless that I can influence anything. If I'm in the stadium making a racket, weirdly, I think I can. Of course, neither are true, but that's what you feel. And uh, I think that the supporters, you know, we're in a good shape. You know, we, we, it was all down to us. It has nothing to do with Roman Abramovich or Bruce Buck. We had got rid of AVB because we had been chanting what an idiot he was for the last how many games beforehand. It was all down to us. So we now had the power. Uh, and I think that's maybe what was going on a little bit. And of course, we've got our players back. I think that's an excellent point you make. So yeah. bizarre. But we got through, obviously. Um, we kind of got through uh, Benfica uh, a bit. Uh, it was a bit. Uh, 
nervy as I recall, but I'll never forget uh, Raul Morellas' forty-yard shot and his celebration afterwards, which is befitting of this. I mean, I remember the song as well. We used to have this great song from Morellas, Raul Morellas, Raul Morellas. He's got shit hair, but we don't care, Raul Morellas. And that was that was sung with gusto after that moment. Yeah, I think I think I've got a quote from Marco in there that he said. Uh, it reminded him of um, taxi, t- taxi driver because he got the to Travis. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, it was this guy had been taunted mercilessly on both legs because of his history with um, with the rivals of Benfica. And when he buried that, talk about a bit, a little bit of payback, a little bit of payback. And you know, other than sorts of you know, um, going to the crowd and saying, "Have some of that, guys." Yeah, uh, I mean, I. You rarely see a guy enjoy a goal like that, and that was that was, and it was an immense goal as well. I mean, I remember when he put the break, he broke away, and Ramirez is sort of coming up on his left hand side. I mean, play, play, play the pass. He's never, never going to play the pass. He was always going to bury that, and he, he absolutely hit it like a traction engine. So. Yeah, it, it was indeed, and of course, I mean, Morellas was like one of many who, who had been brought in under AVB, and I was, I think, there was a feeling amongst a lot of us that there were his players and everybody else, and his players were shit, basically, and that's why we didn't really like them. And they're not yeah. stupid; they get this. Um, yeah. Obviously, we then get to the uh, the semi final, which is uh, just incredible. I mean, I was, I was sadly not at the camp new. Um, very god, one of the biggest regrets I think I've ever had not being there. But I, I was at the bridge for the one nil, and uh, I was actually because I'm in a seat like Marco uh, up at the back of gate 17. So we get we're not allowed to go in on Champions League nights because they have to uh, restrict the capacity yeah, there for TV. Yeah. So we kind of go on tour on Champions League nights, and I ended up uh, very very near the front of the West Lower, near the corner flag. So I was right in front of Didier Drogba's knee slide after he celebrated that goal, which, I, again, that is a memory completely etched on my mind, will never go. But we played bloody well that night, you know. And I think, I mean, obviously, Chelsea fans can't stand Barcelona because of the, the Champions League history between the two yeah. clubs. And, of course, the last time we played them was, was uh, you know, when in the semi-final when we were, you know, denied by Thomas Overbro. Uh, so uh, that was a massive, massive match. But I thought, I mean, forget the emotion... I thought we played really, really well. I, I, I mean, you know, it, it was a game where we had, I think they had something like 73% possession. Oh, game. easily, easily, yeah. Yeah, and I was talking to Jonathan Northcroft, the, the uh, football correspondent about it, and he was there at the night, and he was saying that, you know, if you look at the amount of possession they had and the chances Barcelona created, the two don't like, don't, don't sort of match. Because just check player well. Brilliant. He hadn't got to keep, keep 78 shots out to the top corner. And um, when we scored the goal, I don't, you, I don't know if you got to this part of the book yet. Um, Lampard says, after, said afterwards in one of the Sky interviews, I, I saw that um, they probably had, had sort of spotted because Danny Alves was playing. Um, they were playing a four at the back. PK was injured, and they played Mascarano, Puyol, and Adriano was playing as left back. And uh, through it, Barcelona, I think they they hadn't lost a game since November or something, long time anyway. And Danny Alves is basically playing as a right winger, although he's the right back. And when he charges forward, because they've got so much possession, he leaves so much space behind him. And Robbie puts, moved um, um, Ramirez to the left-hand side of midfield with the the, the um, uh, instruction. If somebody gets to get a chance for a break, look for Rami in the space behind. And this is what happened. Um, Messi tries to not make um, Frank, loses the ball, Drop it to hairs off down the right side, taking Puyol and Mascarano with him. 
and Ramos off down the left. Lampard plays the ball down to Ramirez, and as uh, he's running forward, Dropper runs towards the box, and then he stops. And the other defenders run past him towards the goal line. And as as Rami cuts the ball back, I mean this. I mean, if you watch the goal against slow motion, I don't know if you have. Uh, Drogba hits the ball with his left foot against his right foot, yeah. and it almost apologetically bobbles towards the line. Now, Victor Valdez could almost walk over and pick it up, but instead, and instead of going with his hand, he sticks his foot out, and his, his foot actually diverts the ball away from his hand. This is fight. This, I mean, this is but fight. You, you, you remind, you know, in all honesty, Gary, I'd forgotten about that, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, it's luck, isn't it? That's what you need. And I think... I just think it's fight, Dave. I think it was fight. That, you know, see, things like that, you're thinking... I mean, in that game against Barcelona, the games against Barcelona, Chelsea only scored in injury time. That goal was an injury time in the first half. Yeah. Ramirez's goal in, in uh, the Cap, Cap Nou was in injury time first half. And obviously, Torres was in injury time at the end of the game. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you look back and you think these, these things were written. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, many have said it was written in the stars. I'm amazed you didn't call it written in the stars, but I suppose it would have been. It was too. That, that's the kind of thing I'd do. It was too obvious, basically. Well, well, I just called that. I, I know, I know that, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think you're right. And I mean, I'm just, just going to ask you that actually. I mean, I think I, I my own answer, I know, but uh, when what at what moment did you think? We're going to win this because it, you know, there's just this feeling. We these, these daft things keep happening. We've got to do it. It's, it's strange. I mean, I've asked this question a few times. I say things like I've just said, but I say that in retrospect because I know the answer now. But the, the, I think the only time I thought well, Chelsea were going to win that was when Drug rolled a penalty in. I just, wow. I, I just, I, I, I genuinely, sincerely, just thought it can't, it can't go on. That, that was my feeling. This can't, it can't keep getting at a jail free card. It can't keep happening. I mean, not that the the um the way we turned games around was fortunate. I mean, even that goal was planned. It was a plan. It was an idea Robbie had. Their performances against Barcelona, uh, they were really defensively organised. The, the the defence was was magnificent. Resolution. Uh, Benfica. We won away again in Benfica. They haven't lost a home game in a European competition for about three years. Need threw it away back at Stamford Bridge. We came back and had the resolution to do so. I don't think the look. I think that was just. It was a good measure of ability, but a lot of measure of conviction and belief as well, which Robin installed into the team. And bloody mindedness from. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know you yeah. Yeah. I mean, Drogba. You know, I think epitomised that. I. Th- I mean, Drogba. I think even more so than than Terry and Lamps. Drogba. I think knew that this was his last chance to win the Champions League with Chelsea, and he, you know, and I think. This is what I mean when I say, well, when did we all have a feeling? I mean, I had a feeling after the home leg at Napoli because we were in such, you know, so deep in the mire after the after the away leg. Yeah. Boas gets sacked, which was, you know, needed. But it, it, it also, you know, there's a whole lot of turmoil going on. Robbie, not exactly a trusted and, and tried manager. So when, when we turned that round, I just suddenly thought, okay, there's, I've got a feeling here. This is this is daft, but we might we might go and go and win it. But in real honesty, you know, it wasn't until we'd done Barcelona away that I thought we can't not win this now because they were such a demon to exercise, and the way we did it. I mean, you know, I I, I just just wrote down. I, I kind of had a look at not the game, but just remembering a few things about it. And just you read it out like this, and it just sounds even more insane. Cahill getting injured on 13. I, I mean, I was watching this in a pub in Chelsea going absolutely loopy. Uh, 
the, the injustice of it all. Terry getting sent off on 37. I was, I, I actually, I walked out of the pub at that moment in an absolute mood and uh, and had a fag. And I think I, I walked back in uh, to, to Busquets scoring. It was just uh, added to my poor mood. So he scored on 37 minutes. Iniesta scored on 43. And then, as you said, Ramirez with that incredible goal uh, and, and, and Lampard's equally incredible pass of 45. And then yeah. and then Messi uh, missing that penalty on 49 and then parking the bus for the entire rest of the game. It was like, you know, attack v defence, wasn't it, for a long time. And uh, and I thought, actually, it wasn't just stupid, it, you know, just kind of base defending. I thought it was really... I think, actually, Chelsea set a blueprint that day for a lot of these tick attack, you know, how to play against these tick attack teams because they were basically forcing them wide. And of yes. course, they don't play with a big number nine. Correct. Correct. So it wasn't yeah. completely luck, was it? There was some. some no, no, no. Yeah. I, I don't think it was any a massive element of luck at all. I mean, the only the only chance, decent chances they had were crosses that um, uh, Sanchez had a couple of headers, but but they were fairly time. A couple of things to mention there about um, um, you mentioned about Lampard and uh, I think you that I, I sort of saw that he said after the second goal went in. You can't have a bit of belief, but I thought we were worrying for a hammering, and it was all about trying to keep a little bit of pride. Yeah. And the penalties are a fascinating thing <clears throat> for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, Fabregas afterwards admitted that he dived. I mean, it, it did. He didn't, he didn't touch me. It's a big. It was a big game. I got to go down. And okay, I can't argue with that. If, if any fans thinks he's, he's no player of his team's ever took a dive for a penalty, grow up, sunshine, grow up. Um, so, I mean, that you know, that's fair enough. But Czech had said um, for the game that uh, he knew, because uh, all the press had been banging on about Messi never scored against Chelsea. And he said, you know, I remember that. that. And the, he, he must have known that too. The press was on it to him as well. So he'd be under pressure. And he said, watch him take penalties. And you see him do this when he presses the ball. As he runs forward, he looks up before he strikes the ball, see which way the goalkeeper's leading. And then a bit like George, he just, Chelsea. So he said, I was determined not to move, not to give him an easy shot. So, and then he, he thinks that's what made him sort of shoot down the centre because he wasn't sure where to do, where to go with it. Then obviously, checks a big guy and, you know, goes over him and he struck the bar. And you see, after the after the ball's cleared, checks stands there, he just nods to himself and would say, Yeah, I'll beat you on that one, Tiger. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things like that. But, but, but you're right about the, um, the width as well because. In the second half, they almost played as the back four and then a, uh, the three midfield, and the two strikers were playing almost auxiliary fullbacks. So we were forcing them out to play it to cross it because they don't want to cross into the box, as you say. And there's, there's Branner who's headed 260 balls every every half an hour for, in the game, and uh, they, they wanted to play through a crowded area and they, they basically fell into a web. And, uh, you know, we talked about redemption, didn't we, earlier on? And Again, another another feature of AVB's reign was also trying to get a tune out of Torres, which he singularly failed to do. And I, I liked uh, one of the comments you made in the book because I remember at the time we heard a rumour shortly after he signed uh, that actually, I mean, this, I don't, it's one of those wonderful kind of football rumours, but the rumour I heard was that it was done on the deadline day. So it was very, very last minute dot com, the transfer. And of course, yeah. it plays into the narrative of Chelsea fans not liking the Scousers. Of course, it, that that has to fit with that. But the, the the theory was that they'd done a done a fast one on us, and they hadn't really done the medical properly, and Chelsea hadn't picked up the extent of the damage to his knee. 
which of course cost him a yard of pace and he was never the never the striker at Chelsea he was at Liverpool um and I, I actually bless his little heart I, I I I like Torres I have to say I mean he he you know he ran his heart out for the team and you could see it's it's a horrible I mean we do see this in football like very few other sports really but you 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 watch a, a human being in mental anguish and t- turmoil publicly and it's just horrible to see and we saw that with him and Chelsea fans are, are very generous actually I mean they I mean like Timo Werner's a, a, a case in point that, yeah. in the last couple of seasons you know he's he's rubbish but we love him because he puts in effort and we get behind him and Torres we were very supportive of as well but I mean if you want to talk about redemption that that unbelievable I'm not going to do the Gary Neville on it but that unbelievable moment when he <laughs> when he scores in the 90th minute it was just it was wonderful it brings tears to your eyes thinking about it now actually I think for him yeah, you're right, and um, there's a there's a little bit of history there because um, Torres, before he went to the was at uh, Atletico Madrid, where he was always known as El Nino, the kid, mm. player coming through. But he had a, an amazing record, and I can't I, I quoted the book, but I can't remember the figures off the top of my head of scoring goals against Barcelona in the Camp Nou. Now, whether when that ball when Ash lobbed that ball forward and he's just trying to lob it as far as he can down the pitch to get out of trouble. And there's all, all of a sudden there's only one guy in the picture, which is Torres. Um, whether he sort of he drops into muscle memory, and all of a sudden I'm back in the athletic athletic kit, and never, never, never looked like missing. He never looked like missing. Confident, rolled it round, uh, strolled round uh, Valdez, and well, when he rolled the ball in the, in the union bag, I, I'm in tears. I'm absolutely in tears because the release of that pressure that had been on for. Oh, I don't know, 70 minutes, 75 minutes yeah. was was immense. Yeah. Um, and you, you knew we were safe, safe then. So yeah. never got two, two goals. I mean, it's, the, the semi was so... Because semi-finals are horrible, aren't they? Particularly if you lose. And I, I just remember the sheer joy, the sheer joy of it, you know, just having been so down when Cahill and, uh, you know, Cahill went off injured, Terry got sent off, and yeah. just thinking, yeah. well, that's it. The false hope, in a sense, with Ramirez's goal. Um, but when, yeah, when Torres scored, it was just because you knew that was it. And, and you could just see. I mean, one of the things I always love about the, the, the TV footage of that is when Torres, you know, cel- goes to celebrate. Uh, there's that, there's that uh, Spanish, Barcelona fans and there's one of them shouting out, puta, puta at him. And it's just, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I love that. We really rubbed it in their noses there. Right. Um, sorry, Gary, you were going to say? You just mentioned it, Dad, with that. Um... About about the, the the game before the start of the game, um, Barcelona were running the league of champions, but they'd lost if, between the two Chelsea games. They'd lost to to Real Madrid. More importantly, Mourinho's Real Madrid yeah. lost them the title in the end. And um, a few years ago, when, Chelsea, when Mourinho took Chelsea to um, Camp Nou, he sent Chelsea out in all white. All white was not Chelsea's second kit at the time. The reason he put men all white because was because of Real Madrid, and Robbie um, did the same thing. Chelsea's second kit in 2012 was black, very much like um, Barcelona wore at Stamford Bridge, but he sent Chelsea out in white. He had that blue and yellow band across the chest, but broadly it was white. And it was almost one of those moments where you say, well, "I'm not scared of you." Now, but these might be minor things, but if it builds players' confidence up again. Little things build up, you know. That's marginal differences, as they say. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, no. I'm I'm so glad that you 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 told me that because I I hadn't thought of that. But you're right. Marginal differences make a huge difference at this level. Yeah. So anyway, we end up going to the final in Munich. I just about managed to get out there on the day. Uh, a remarkable day. Um, 
And I have to say, as, as, as an overview of the game, I don't think I've ever experienced being that tense at a match before or since. <laughs> I, I, it was just, it was, it was painful. And the worst thing is, Gary, is that all that wonderful uh, lager we'd been drinking all day in the beer in the beer gardens in Munich in the Steins had uh, had worn off by then and of course I don't think they were selling alcohol in the stadium I, I think I remember buying a beer there and found out it was non-alcoholic and nearly spat it out <laughs> but uh, yeah it was just so incredibly tense and I remember the atmosphere being absolutely fantastic I mean Chelsea, the Chelsea end was just brilliant and everybody who got tickets it was all very random and suddenly you'd look around you see a mate oh you're it you know it was just one of those but the game itself I think in, in a way was as was fitting given what had gone before you know all these kind of quirky things that had happened um you know starting ryan bertrand on, on his debut what was that all about and that worked yeah. you know you're looking at a team with boss winger in it and uh salomon kalu i mean i think this is a really interesting point actually because you know we talk about it being written in the stars all of those times in the past previous kind of five, six, seven years when Chelsea had great teams from one to 11, great, great players and should have won it, I think, two, three times, actually. They were good enough to do that, but were denied by a bit of luck and bad fate. And then you look at the team that does go and win it and about half of that team wouldn't get anywhere near to the previous teams and yet we go and do it and we do it the best possible way with, with that you know, incredible Drogba header to equalise with three minutes to go. And then extra time, Robin missing a penalty. And then, of course, the penalties themselves, which were excruciating, as I recall. Yeah, I think I was mentioned there, I was talking, I've got a, a friend who's a Liverpool fan, and uh, he, he always says that uh, when um, Liverpool based on penalties, he said Liverpool were a poor team. And Chelsea were like a purring engine. And the team that actually won the cup, won the 12th in 2012, was more like a patchwork quilt. Yeah. Of players, you know, some some outstanding players who were knocking on a bit, and some players who were, could have been a long way from the first choice team. Um, just going back to the Robin penalty, I don't know if you've seen this. I mentioned this in the book. If I didn't know it at the time, um, as Robin said, about to take the penalty, there's a guy in a grey t-shirt behind the goal who has got an inflatable beach ball, and as Robin is about to dress the ball, he flips it up in the air and slaps it towards the goal. And he, and he goes towards the goal and drifts just to Czech's left-hand post. Where the fourth, fifth, sixth official, I don't know what you call them, these guys, the guys standing there with a bit of rod with that flag on the end of it, standing right by it. And, I, I mean, I've seen this so many times now, and Czech obviously saves this, and I'm thinking, it's going to make this take, take, take this again. It's going to make them take this again. But the official just kicks it away, and the play goes on. And you think, you know, that guy in that great T-shirt, I don't know who it was, he knows who he is. If he's listening to some show, you know who you are. You let us let us know if you're listening. I want to know who you are too. Yeah, you could have you could have cost Chelsea some show, but you didn't. So we were all we we're all okay. We we're all okay. But one of those moments, and you know, you look back and one of those sort of hidden, almost hidden moments. And but then you know, as you say, things turn out. And I mean, Czech has uh, he said for an interview with him about penalty, and he said that uh, he's left footed as well as Czech, as well as Robin. And he says hey, when you're tired. You take a penalty. You're going to drag the ball across goal. It's just the the physics of it. So he he decided we he was going to go. And he almost got there too early. He was waiting, was waiting for the ball, but um, and you're thinking that again. Is that the moment you think you're going to win it? And then they still seem to be have the better chances. And, but 
There you go. There you go. Sometimes, sometimes it's written. Bad. Well, I, th- I think I think it. You know, this is the wonderful thing about football and the ebb and flow of it, isn't it? I mean, when when Muller scored, I thought that's it. We're yeah. going to get tonked. Not just that we're going to lose one nil. We're going to get tonked because we're in their backyard. You know, we had no right to be there. You know, it was. A, it, I mean, actually, that's the other feeling throughout the the day and all the Munich fans. I was in a big, big beer keller all day, and we were outnumbered ten to one in there. And they were so they were lovely to us because they were just so supremely confident that they were going to win. We were just yeah. there to make up the numbers. Um, yeah. So yeah, when we went one nil down, I was I thought I thought the worst actually. So that low and resignation. And then Drogba scores that incredible header, and it was just right up again. It was like, oh, hang on, hang on, no, 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 we're we're in this, we're very in this because their heads dropped. Yes, at that moment. Yes, but I do think the I do I do think the penalty miss was pivotal, and I think one of the things about that which I've always loved was the way that John Obi Mikel got into uh, got into Robin's head. Actually, <laughs> yeah, loved that. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, he must have felt immense immense amount of pressure. I mean, the very fact that he didn't take a penalty. When it um when it came to it in the end, so yeah, I mean, it, it almost doesn't destroyed his game as it were, but you know that sort of thing goes on. It reminded me of um of uh, Dave's in the uh, World Cup final, the last penalty, and he stands there holding the ball. And then all the Palmeiras guys giving him mouth as if he's going to take the penalty. Casually gives the ball to Kai and he rolls in the onion bag, and you know, there you go because he yeah. took all the pressure away from him and listened, listened to all the abuse. So yeah, I mean, it's all part of the game, isn't it? You know, it's a bit like. I remember when I was when I was doing my coaching badges, the goalkeeping guy was said, you know, first when you get a penalty award against you, the first thing the goalkeeper you do, take his gloves off, take his gloves off, because then you're going to put your gloves back on again. You're going to strap them up, and no referee's going to allow the guy to take a penalty without the goalkeeper being ready. Take your gloves off, put them in the corner there, walk away, have a glass of water, have a drink or something. So pressure. I mean, I mean, imagine imagine the pressure taking any penalty you know, when I was playing penalties and thinking it's under pressure, but this is. Which is ridiculous. But there's a, there's a guy called uh, Bobby Hesse, who's a German author, and um, I spoke to who's about the game and got some cards from me in the book. And uh, it was a big thing for Bayer because it was what they, I don't know the German word, the home final. Because obviously their, their stadium was nominated to be for the final before the competition started. So it always seemed like it was fate once they got to the final. And they almost thought when, when, uh, when we beat Real Madrid, so we beat Barcelona, they beat Real Madrid, they thought that was their final. This was just a love of honour, almost. And they underestimated Chelsea more than a fair bit. And when we refused to sort of be the patsies to their parade, as you said, when Drogba scored that again, the balloon was deflated. And, and um, well, he, well, he told me that uh, he said, but people in Germany, they're a bit like, I mean, a bit like Manchester United. Well, nobody really likes them except for their own fans. And there was a sort of, um, what's what I'm looking for, a deflation about them when they, when they conceded that, this shouldn't be happening, but it is. And, you know, it's almost like it's out of our hands now. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think that, I mean, even in the stadium where it was a bit mad, so it's hard to really look at it rationally, you could tell that their heads had dropped. Yeah. And, I mean, the interesting thing about the uh, the Robin penalty as well, of course, was that uh, it was Drogba who, it was Drogba's foul that had given the penalty away. So more redemption, of course, yeah. with the last kick. And, you know, I found the penalties. Uh, I mean, actually, do you know what? I, I was resigned. I thought, well, that's it. Because we, we don't win penalty shootouts, no, Chelsea. No, no, we don't. We don't. Well, I mean, obviously we haven't the last two finals we've been in, but we certainly were rubbish at them in that, that time frame. So I was resigned to the fact that we, were, we weren't we were going to do it. 
so I, I, I pretty much just sat back in the... I didn't sit down, but I was kind of leaning back on the seat. And I thought, well, bollocks, I'm going to have a cigarette. I've been sat here for two hours. I'm going to have a fag. <laughs> if they throw me out, I don't care because we're not going to win it anyway. And uh, But it changed. When Drogba went up to take the kick and he addressed the ball, I thought he's going to do this. And I just felt he was going to do it. And I think it's all to do with that redemptive kind of thing that we've been talking about. It was his last game, you know, perfect ending. It was the, That was a script that had been written in a sense. I really, that was the one moment when I thought in the entire two hours, I thought we're going to win it when he, when he went, up, went up to strike the ball. Yeah, I mean, two things about this, about penalties, which sort of interests me. I was watching the game, I was still with my son um, back home when I was back in the uh, West Midlands. And uh, whenever Chelsea player was going to take a penalty, Neuer would jump up and rattle the crossbar, check the crossbar. And I remember saying to my son, what would the referee do? A Chelsea player walked past Neuer and shook the crossbar. He wouldn't allow it. So why does Neuer get away with that? It just irritated me because he's just... Anyway, anyway. He's irritating, um, that's why. He's irritating, he's irritating, he's irritating, he's irritating that's why. He irritates me. But he's had the drop of penalty. Um, sometime afterwards, my... my well, sort of my daughter bought me uh, a picture which is hanging up just in the uh, alcove in front of me here. And it's taken from behind Drogba. And the ball's rolling to the one corner and noise falling away to the other. And every time I walk, I won't say every time I walk, but so often I walk past it, I give myself a little smile. So that's a wonderful memory. It's yeah. a golden memory. I, you know, I, I've got the programme. I think I can't even remember, you know. I'm very rubbish at collecting these things, but I'm, I'm sure I have the programme and the ticket somewhere but my wife has a habit of making me box them up and stick them in storage so lord knows where it is but what you can't you can't see behind my my bookshelf here but on the wall on the roof wall there behind me i've got all of my chelsea framed memorabilia and i've got a i've got a signed shirt that i picked up that i i actually got i actually went to cobham got the players to sign it of most of that team no bloody drogba of course which is my great regret but my 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 Munich uh, memorabilia I've got a friend who at the time she was the uh the uh, the president of uh, Chelsea in America and she's also an artist and she she uh, created some art uh, basically it's it's a hand drawn pencil sketch of a boot but it's it's intertwined with the European cup and uh, on the laces they've got she's got the names of all the starting line and all these facts and figures about it and it's beautiful and she only did about a couple of hundred of them maybe so I've got that framed but I've also got um, the uh, they've become quite quite the rage now. But it's that kind of big three sixty photograph of the yes. stadium. But I, my yeah, mine's a, mine's a kickoff. And the lovely thing about that is that I I know exactly where I am. I mean, I'm you know it's too small to make it out, but I know where I was. And I I loved. I, I said now I won't. I could I could have got one for Porto, but I refused to do it because I wasn't there. Gotcha. So it doesn't yeah. count. But, Understood. Yeah, Understood. you know, it's kind of weird how our minds work on that thing. But, uh, I mean, that, as I said earlier on, that was the greatest night of my life. It will never be bettered. And I, I have a I have a mate who's... Because, funnily enough, one of the... Uh, I, I only made it at the last minute because I, I, I was freelancing as a producer at the time and uh, I hadn't had a gig for a while. I had, I had no money. And then I got a gig just before the final. And it meant that I wouldn't be able to start on the day they wanted me to start. And I, I happen to know the executive producer. I've made a lot of football programs for him. He's a big United fan, would you believe? And yeah. when I was talking to the you know HR people at the company, I said, look, 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 I know it's shit and all the rest of it, but talk to Ben. He'll understand. 
and and they phoned back and they phoned me back and they said oh, we had a chat with Ben he said yeah no problem he said make sure you make it in on Monday don't be too fucked up and and enjoy it he said because <laughs> he said enjoy it because if this is the first one it'll never be better and he knew that he was out he had been out in the camp new for uh, when United had won it in 99 and he said exactly that when I when I eventually ended up in the office he said yeah you see you, you can't beat the first time and I think well, he's well, right uh, it's a bit like the say about drugs and chasing dragon you know, the, the, the first the first hit thought was the best yeah exactly that not that I would know not that I would uh, know well no me neither on that one Gary but uh, I mean if 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 we if we take this whole season you know the, the season as a whole and you know, we've been readily acknowledging, haven't we, uh, for the last hour or hour and a bit, that there were so many odd, quirky moments that had they gone slightly the other way, none of this would have happened. And yet it all kind of, it's a bit like when you're driving along the road and you keep going through green lights and stuff, mad stuff like that. There's so many moments like that throughout this season. But if you were to pick one, what was your favourite moment or, or the favourite moment and or the most important moment of the campaign? God, that's a good question. Um, I could go. I mean, I think probably the most memorable one would be Torres's goal. Um, just for so many reasons, for, for so many reasons. I think the first, the most significant one, the one that perhaps had the most effect on the contribution, shall we say, to us when there was probably Ashley Cole, Napoli away, because we were dead and buried. That would have gone in. And not, 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 nothing else would have happened. Not, I mean, coming back from 4-1 down, that's asking a lot of lot. So, I, I mean, I'd, I'd say, yeah, Torres' moments, or Drogba's moments. Uh, oh, God, I mean, I guess. There are so I mean, many, aren't there? There are so many. Now, this is what I said, you know, before. It's such a stupid, ridiculous, crazy, unbelievable, improbable, impossible story that no matter which team it was, somebody ought to go and write the damn book about it. And very fact, Chelsea just makes it so much better and, you know, as I said, until today, this this season when Real Madrid have had some crazy upsets, including when we're three plunk up in the Bernabeu, ridiculous turning that, that first leg around. Um, if they go win, that that'll come close. It will never surpass the Chelsea triumph. I mean, it's a it's a weird note to end on, but actually, strangely appropriate actually, because I was thinking that and I thought that you know when they uh, when they scored those two goals in a couple of minutes, knock City out. And a lot of people would have been thinking, oh, you know, this is City's year. You know, everybody thought they would win it last year and Chelsea kind of stole it from them in a way. So it's their year, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then Real Madrid come along and they were out. They were dead and buried and they scored two, yeah. go- two goals in two minutes. And I, I thought at that moment, I mean, and I thought when they knocked us out, I thought, oh God, they're one of these teams like we were. They can be absolutely rubbish and then they'll, they'll just pile on through. And then when those two goals went in against City, I thought, that's it. Liverpool might as well not turn up. Real Madrid's yeah. name is on the cup. Yeah, they were they were down and out against PSG. Yeah, they were down and out against Chelsea. Yeah, they were down and out against City. Yeah, it rings a bell, doesn't it? It does, it does. But I don't, I don't just think it's some kind of weird twist of fate. I think you allude to this actually throughout the book and have done again today. Uh, we both have, you know, that there was something about, uh, you know, we talked about redemption, didn't we, in a way, but. You know, you look at the 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 the, fight, the spine of the team, which is, is always a bit of a weird, a bit like my spine's got kink in it because it's it's Drogba, uh, Lampard, uh, uh, and uh, Terry and Czech with Cole at the left hand side. But that for me was the spine of that great team. Great, and and they were all pretty much sidelined at the beginning of the season. They caused a lot of aggro. Effectively, got AVB out, came back, 
last last hurrah to win the Champions League, which had become their obsession like it had been Abramovich's. And they must have had such a will to win it. That's my point. Yeah. Such a huge, indomitable will to win it. And I think maybe that's the thing with Real Madrid. You, you know, you're right. And, uh, you know, I'm going to throw some similarities there. He's a, t- he's a club that uh, uh, a manager left and they've, they've pulled somebody out of nowhere. I mean, as good as some parks in nowhere, but you know what I mean, to take over. They've won the league by 14 points this season. And they've got a, a striker, a veteran striker, Benzema. And if, if, if they win the European Cup, they, he will win the Ballon d'Or. And if he doesn't, I'll, de- I'll demand a recount. Because this guy has been amazing. He scored a hat-trick against um, PSG when they were losing. Scored the goals against us. Um, against City, scored the winner against City. He's been top goal scorer this in um, in, the, in the league of this season. Veteran striker, as I say, you know, this game, it just seems these teams just seem fated. And you know, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I should be I should be pulling for Real Madrid to win that. I, I for any, any number of reasons. Well, I was going to say I, I won't take much encouragement to do that anyway. <laughs> but you know, fair enough. Um, Gary, we, we better wrap it up now. But I, I just have to say. Uh, I'm going to say thank you, actually, not just well, thank you for writing the book, because, as I said, I think I think it will, you know, it, I, I, there's a few, there's a, as I said, I've got so many Chelsea books and there there are some written by some mates that have become definitive, you know, in their eras, like Rick Glanville's done a, a, a history and Rick's a great mate. Kelvin Barker's done the definitive history on the 80s. Kelvin's a great mate with the Celery book. And Tim Rolls, who's another great mate, has done great swathes of the Sexton era, which I think, again, are de- and Tim's a complete anorak, so his detail's phenomenal in that. And that's definitive. I think I think this book will be the definitive work on that mad, mad season that was 2012. So I thank you for that, number one. Number two, I thank you for coming on and allowing me to indulge myself and talk about it all over again, because this is the most f- fun I've had in an hour and a half for God knows how long. So thank you for that as well. <laughs> Oh, well, massive. I mean, thanks for your very kind words, there, Dad. I really appreciate it, and it's, it's, it was a labour of love. And um, you know, I've, I've, I just hope all Chelsea fans enjoyed reading as much as I enjoyed writing it. And, and also, thank you for inviting me on. They're written much better to do than on a, on a Monday afternoon and talk about Chelsea for an hour and a half with uh, and great memories. Great memories. So thank you for having me on, Dave. I appreciate it. That, I really appreciate it. As I said, I need no encouragement to talk about Chelsea. I'd do it all day if I had to. Um, just very quickly, it's uh, for people out there who want to buy this fantastic book. It's called Out of the Blue, Chelsea's Unlikely Champions League tro- uh, Triumph. It's by Gary Thacker, who I've been speaking to. Uh, it's published by Pitch Publishing. The recommended price is £16.99. pence. I would imagine you could probably get it a little bit cheaper on Amazon as you normally can. But you can get it on Amazon internationally as well as locally. You certainly can. It's on Amazon International. Just type in my name, Gary Thacker, G-A-R-Y-T-H-A-C-K-E-R. You'll find my Amazon page. All the books are on there. Lovely. Well, I, I mean, I, I always put a, a kind of a little blog up with each podcast I do. So I'll, I'll put what uh, Pitch have sent me and also the Amazon link. So anybody listening, because we've got a lot of a lot of listeners in the States. So they always yeah. say this, oh, we're able to buy on Amazon because it often differs. So I'll put the link on there. You'll be able to buy the book, but do buy it. It's absolutely brilliant. And you will will relive one of the most incredible seasons in the club's history. So there you go. Uh, once more, Gary, thank you so much for joining me and uh, I wish you luck with whatever your next project is. Thank you, mate. An absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it, Dave. Thanks for having me on. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. 
you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 